All guests will be required to drink this Molly. <laughs> Here we go, guys. No. Come on, grandmother. PowerPoints, power lunches, conference calls, reply to all, endless meetings, constant check-ins, and so much wasted time. Are you sick of the BS? So are we. It's time to take our time back, rework the way we work, and make every call a call to action. This is a podcast for people who want to stop talking and really start connecting. This is After 12. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to After 12, 12 for 12's original podcast series that explores cool companies, brands, messages, and makers, and what compels us to take notice and become fans. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and life partner in Beard Oil, Mr. Josh Rush. Josh, wave to the camera. Hello, hello. We've got a truly beautiful show for you today. Um, as one of the top bridal designers in the world, Haley Page launched her namesake collection at only 25 years old. As the head designer for Haley Page, Blush by Haley Page, Haley Page Occasions, Les Petites Haley Page, and Haley Page Red Carpet at Bridal House JLM Couture, her collections have received major global accolades. Her pieces have been worn by musicians, influencers, and trendsetters alike. And as a frequent contributor to TLC's Say Yes to the Dress, her whimsical style has helped thousands of brides sparkle. Haley, welcome to After 12. Hello there. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, wow, you have had a, uh, a very busy last uh, three and a half decades. Um, how is the quarantine going for you in New York City? Has it given you some some time to actually take a break? Absolutely. I think it's more than anything given me a moment to really treasure time and how it's spent. I think everyone's used this as a moment of self-reflection and a time to kind of slow down. It's the first time in 15 years that I've been living in New York City where I actually feel like a homebody. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been kind of a blessing. And I've been focusing a lot on self-assessment and perspective because this is a time where a lot of people really are struggling and I feel lucky that I still have a job and a passion and a fiance and a little puppy and like, you know, there's so many things to be grateful for what we do have as opposed to focusing on what we don't. Um, so that's kind of been my mindset. <laughs> no it is, it is no, nice to reassess and be able to count your blessings and just say, wait a second. Everything that I thought was a big deal really, really is not a big deal. Um, so, but, yeah. so tell us how you really feel. <laughs> well, you know, I miss barbecues <laughs> yeah. and travel. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I actually have, uh, I almost feel guilty saying this, but I do enjoy that I've had this time uh, to kind of have more autonomy on my schedule and to get more sleep and yeah. just the little things really, uh, it's made me a lot more grateful for the personal connection that's required in my particular line of work and, you know, being a resource for brides right now, as opposed to just let me sell you dresses, um, which has helped kind of build more of a digital community. So I, I actually am grateful for that. And we've had more time to do content and playful things. So we really are being optimistic in this situation. My fiance has been a big help in that too. So were you were you guys in New York when the pandemic, like when the physical um, kind of quarantine came in effect, or were you were you on the road? We were both here, and 
it was really shocking because we had this really quintessential New York night out right before they um, had the stay-at-home orders. And it was really such a big juxtaposition in this night out that was lively and fun. And then the very next day, it was, you're not going to work. Everybody needs to stay home. We need to get this under lock. Um, And at first, it almost felt like, oh my gosh, like this is, you know, in a pandemic or in in a moment that's just so unexpected, it almost feels like like you're a kid again and like you get to stay up past midnight, you know? And like, there was that kind of feeling where we're like, we don't believe it yet. Um, And then when it really sunk in, I think we just wanted to see what we could do to change our mindset. Were were you working on your new line at the time? I mean, were you in the middle of it? Yes, it was complete business as usual. And it's one of my busiest times during the year, um, March and April, and then September and October are my really busy design development months uh, because we show new collections in April. So I was gearing up for a bridal fashion week and (laughs) just getting ready for that um, amazing hustle and bustle, no pun intended, (laughs) for the next few weeks. (laughs) So are those designs then, I mean, you've obviously shelved the collection. Are you going to do it then next year? Are you you postponing? Is that kind of the, the game plan? Yes, we are planning to basically... Re, uh, restart the engines um, as soon as we get the go-ahead to get back to work. The main priority has just been getting orders out for brides that have already placed gotcha. in the past year and kind of doing a, the mental gymnastics of, okay, if she's postponing her wedding, we don't need to ship her dress yet, you know, or if she's having an intimate ceremony or kind of pivoting the idea of her wedding, does she still need her dress? So, There's been a lot of um, just coordination with stores being closed as well. Um, So that's been our main focus. But I think one of the silver linings in our business is that we're getting a little bit of time to play catch up. And hopefully we can release the dresses that were intended for April a little bit earlier so that they can get in stores faster before October market. And that could be a way for us to become even more accessible to the bride. So I definitely saw an opportunity there. (laughs) Well, what, I mean, what a disruption for all of the men and women and men and men and women and women getting married. I I just like, I'm sure you have, I've heard some crazy stories. What are some of the things that, that have kind of given you hope or joy in terms of like, what are, what are they doing to kind of, like you said, pivot or create a, a new normal or to, to just, to just uh, turn the, the, the lemons in the lemonade, so to speak. One of uh, the most remarkable things I feel right now is that people are being patient um, and really focusing on the bigger picture because with weddings, it's always so exciting and you just are, you're anxious to celebrate and make it meaningful and it's during times like this where the reflection of, okay, the marriage is the most important part. Mm-hmm. Um, and we love celebrating. We love our weddings. Uh, but in the scale of things, um, to be focused in on the why and just the long-term longevity of your relationship, um, it pales in comparison to a ceremony that needs to be postponed Um, that doesn't change how disappointing it is. And there's so many mechanics involved in, okay, how do I preserve my wedding dress? 
I have to, do I have to think about social distancing at my wedding? Do I need to wear a mask that matches my gown? Like all these things are totally unprecedented for the industry itself. And so for me, I think just being interactive with brides right now and letting them know I'm your cheerleader, I'm an advocate, I can answer your questions, whatever I can do to help you get through this time, we can do. And then don't dull your excitement for when your moment does happen. And you're making history right now. All these brides, they really are because nobody's had to deal with this kind of situation before. So it's in the handling of it that I think real character is built and that perspective is so important for the long term. And that intimacy you're talking about too. I mean, like, you know, really we we look at marriage as, you know, uh, an experience where, you know, there's, there's a party, there's an open bar, there's a celebration. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's actually how I ruined my own wedding day is it's like <laughs> it was under the table, drunk, and maybe there was some other blood alcohol thing going on. But, you know, you think like uh, if you could just stand with the person you love and tell them, and even if people are, you know, standing, I've seen these great shots of people standing down the streets or in cars, and it's more about the fact that we're overcoming, you know, and we're standing together even in but, the midst but, of this unprecedented that, thing. Like, I mean, for the last three months, you, you have an opportunity to really look at that person that you're sharing a very <laughs> close space with and say, like, yes. I don't know, is she really yes. for me or is he yes. really for me? Have you had anybody, uh, I mean, not, not Second to, guess. to go there, but has there, <laughs> yeah. there been some, you know, some cold feet after all this time together in, in quarantine? Definitely. This is a time where the pressure is really on and everything is magnified. So I haven't had any stories of a bride that's gotten cold feet or anything like that. But we do have friends that, you know, were forced to kind of move in together during this time when they were just kind of dating. (laughs) Um, And it's really, you know, solidified the thought that maybe they're they're not meant to be together. And (laughs) Again, you see it as a, okay, well, I'm glad this happened and that we know this now. Um, can't wait for quarantine <laughs> to be over so we can get out of right. each other's lives. Uh, Amplifying the relationship to play house with somebody that you were dating, that you met on Tinder, and now you realize that you yeah. need to move out and can't until the <laughs> quarantine is lifted. It's a big stressor on relationships, but I've definitely seen more positive than negative. So couples that have chosen to do just an intimate ceremony at their home or in their backyard, um, you know, just something that's really special and memorable and unexpected. It, there, there's some wonder, wonderfulness in that. So, I yeah. imagine you've been to a few weddings too, right, Haley? Oh yeah, I, I've been to some weddings. <laughs> yeah, I've actually been, I think, a bridesmaid now triple digits because wow. say yes to the dress America. I was a bridesmaid for fifty-two. Rides. So, oh my gosh. yeah, it's um, it's wonderful, and I love weddings, so I can't complain. I'm like, more, more is more. <laughs> I know, I love well, weddings. I'm a big. Well, fan. so on that on that point, what are, do, do you have you scheduled a date? Are you for you and Conrad? Yes, you just, you're engaged. You're gonna... We are engaged. It's so exciting. I actually keep kind of forgetting because I almost <laughs> feel like we're married in a in a way. Um, just like and because me. yeah, yes. and I'm so focused on my brides and especially during this time with the mechanics of moving your wedding and all that. Um, I, I kind of keep forgetting, but we were lucky in that we didn't set an exact date or book a venue, but we did have to push 
all of our plans down the road. We're definitely not planning to get planning to get married anytime soon. Has it changed your plans or made you think of kind of a different experience that you want to have now thinking about it? That's such a great question. And actually it's not, it hasn't changed for me. I still am fantasizing about that day and I still see it as this wonderful big bash and having all of our friends and family there and actually being able to hug and snug with them, you know, just, just a real big joyful event. Uh, we're big like on Burning Man and yeah. <laughs> we okay. kind of envision a wedding that feels like that. And it's, it's so much about community and loving your neighbor and art and like experience. So we, we want that for our wedding for sure. All guests will be required to drink this Molly. <laughs> Here we go, guys. No. Come on, grandmother. Or to like do an art project of some sort. Yes. You know, yes. like to yes. be participatory and like do something you've never done before in that kind of a unexpected environment is something works. Would you about. do it like, you know, in uh, like the Nevada desert or like, you know, art car in down the aisle? Oh, yeah. Something so really cool. cool. I mean, we'd have to tone it down just because we want it to be elevated and have that sophistication, which not that burning, well, no, burning man's not really that sophisticated, <laughs> but like we really want it to feel elegant still and uh, memorable and not like too surface level. Um, we really appreciate the, the creativity and just the idea of getting out of your head. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, we want to create an experience for people. So desert for sure. I could maybe do like a beach or something, but we're thinking more like Arizona Plains or Southwest, something really cool. Look, think think about Joshua Tree. I mean, I lived in Palm Springs for five years. I mean, that whole area is absolutely beautiful, stunning, uh, painted desert, Ladder Canyon. Um, Oh, a lot of cool stuff. Speaking my language. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so let's, let's go back. Um, you, I mean, you used, so we're both, both Bay area kids. I grew up in Almond and Valley in San Jose. You were right next door in, in Los Gatos. Um, you were a gymnast and you were pretty serious about doing gymnastics, right? Yeah. I, oh gosh. Yeah. That was like such a different Haley. Um, <laughs> I feel like I did gymnastics for almost 18 years. And it wow. was such a huge part of my identity in life for a while. Um, and I was part of West Valley gymnastics, which had Olympians like Amy Chow. And yep. it was intense, like six hour practices a day. And, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't big in the social community of, of my high school or anything like that. Cause I was always leaving for practice early. So it was, it was definitely an interesting childhood from that respect. <laughs> How much did that inform your work ethic? Because I mean, you know, not a lot of people as young as you were um, kind of had the focus of the drive. And I, I've interviewed a lot of people and at 25, having your own line of dresses as a, you know, as a real novice to the industry, um, you, you just came out of the gates and, you know, I, I, I imagine you were working all the time, nights, weekends, anytime you could. Yeah, absolutely. Um, gymnastics played a huge role, I think in, self-discipline, self-awareness, forever practicing things to get very goal-oriented type of things. Um, And then also a respect for authority too. For me, uh, my gymnastics coach was somebody I was afraid of. Uh, (laughs) Not not from like a personal, uh, like safety standpoint, but just 
like the discipline level and the expectation was always very high. So you were required to perform and, and do your work. And, you know, so that mentality was instilled very young with, with what, um, so, somebody so, at my age. So, so, so like from gymnastics coaches to Nina Garcia, I was going to say the Devil Wears Prada experience. You had that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I've definitely been in very um, disciplined and crazy environments. Um, And like, it's funny because my parents are extremely hardworking and they have a wonderful ethic, uh, ethic about their work. And they also are very fun. Like they know how to balance work and play and thank goodness that my parents were that way because I feel like if they were a lot more restrictive or stringent or um, just hard, uh, I would have, I think I would have been different, Um, but I was getting it from gymnastics and I was getting it from these environments and the, yeah, the first few experiences I had in the fashion industry were incredibly tumultuous and required a lot of mental or emotional intelligence, I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you certainly had the drive early on and you wanted to go to the East Coast. I I totally emulate that experience. I wanted to go away and see kind of like, you know, what that world was like. How was it going to Cornell for school? And then, you know, you were pre-med, you were kind of going to follow in your father's footsteps. Is that kind of a thought or how did that happen? Yes. So I've always looked up to my dad. He's been my personal hero. He's an incredible general surgeon, still does it to this day. And we had a really, we have a really strong relationship and growing up, I would do my physics homework and he would be doing his charts, you know? And so I just admired him and felt like I could also be a good doctor someday. And I always approached it as I love design and I'm passionate about design, but I don't really see it as a viable profession. I always felt like, okay, being a designer is like saying you want to be Batman. You know, it's like, (laughs) I can't make that leap. I don't know anyone in the fashion industry. Am I even talented? I don't know, but I know I can study really hard and I can become like a creative surgeon, you know, or work in reconstructive plastics or something like that. And so it was very like formulaic. Uh, my mentality was formulaic. So I was driven towards math and sciences. And when I got to Cornell, my gymnastics coach, he was like, the reason you got to go here is because you can do anything in the world, Cornell. And I'm like, okay, well, if I could do anything, I'd want to be a bridal gown designer and not do medicine. And he's like, well, we have a fiber science and apparel design major. You should check that out. And I was like, okay, take me to it. And there was a unique overlap in the curriculum between fiber science and medicine. So it gave me that nice little, okay, I have one foot in land, one foot in the sparkle sea. Like, let's see where I can go. And so I needed that time frame to make the transition, especially in terms of my confidence level and conviction in doing design. And so for me, college was a huge impact on my decision-making of long-term career. Had you had any experience designing clothes? Oh, yeah. So I was always doing it as a side project, side hustle throughout from, from baby, babyhood. Okay. (laughs) My grandmother taught me to bake and sew and crochet young age. We would knit blankets for the children's hospitals and like create our own butters and bake. And like, it was just wonderful to be exposed to creativity young. And 
my parents are always so playful in their environments. And so I loved always being creative and thinking about let's recreate Starry Starry Night on a giant canvas. You know, we were always doing these projects and it was always fun. It was always playtime. So I was like, okay, well, this isn't a viable profession. Um, And that was from my own brain of it. It wasn't because my parents were saying, no, you shouldn't do this. Um, But then I started making my own clothes. I did my own prom dresses and graduation dresses. And I was always sewing. So I was an avid sewer. And when I went to Cornell, they, you had to um, submit a portfolio and get accepted into the design school. Uh So I had already had all these projects and I put it together and I got accepted and it was incredible. So and I, your parents were super supportive and they kind of gave you the the impetus to say, okay, trust yourself, go with your gut. Is that? Yeah. And yeah. my parents were major in that because uh, I've, I've seen a lot of experience or I've, I've seen a lot of people that have been on the other side of that where their parents Oh, you, you've met my dad? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I mean, like, I, I get it. You know, it's funny too, because my wife is a, a physician and I know most doctors are like, oh, don't go into medicine. Don't, whatever you do, kid, don't do it. Um, so it's kind of, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of nice that you broke the mold and then made your own mold, you know? Um, what was, what was the, the wildest experience, you know, kind of getting into that industry, um, after school? I mean, T- tell us about your your senior uh, show, too. I mean, it was kind of a big deal, right? Right. The Cornell Design League is a student-run organization separate from your academics and curriculum or required curriculum. And I was the treasurer of that. And you were required to put together a collection and show it at the senior show. And I did a line of wedding dresses. Um, and there happened to be a designer in the audience and she offered me a job right after the show. And it was incredible because, you know, it's, it's tough. It's a tough world out there to put yourself out there. And if you want to be a designer, it just seems so difficult uh, to break into that industry and to get your resume out there and you're a dime a dozen. And it's, it's, it's crazy. So I was very, very uh, fortuitous to be in that position and then also say, absolutely. I'll show up tomorrow, like whatever you need me. And um, that ended up being a huge experience for me in terms of my gumption. And like I said before, emotional intelligence, because I was thrown into this environment that was very particular and it was hardcore and it was like a bridal boot camp, or it wasn't even bridal, but it was a boot camp of fashion. And it was kind of like the Devil's Prada um, in the sense mm-hmm. that, you just, you got to show up and you can't cry and you got to get through it. And is that, I don't care is that not a stereotype? That's really how it is. I mean, it's, it's pretty hardcore. Yeah. People don't have the, the patience for, you know, you're feeling, uh, untenable or you're feeling, you know, I don't know, you know, confidence, you have to have confidence, right? Yes. You definitely need to have confidence. Um, and I also think that there is beauty in the breakdown of character. <laughs> Um, Mm. because when you're getting beaten up every day, especially emotionally, uh, you do develop strength in a weird way. And so I definitely hit a period of what I felt like was rock bottom in New York city. Um, in my first year here, I had like anxiety and I had no friends and 
I was like, should I have gone to California and worked with my sister who's a producer and been a stylist? Like, I don't know. And so, uh, but thank goodness for that experience, you know, because it really did create the mindset of resilience and Mm -hmm. it's not always going to be unicorns and rainbows, even though like that's very much (laughs) part of my mantra now. Um, And I think everyone's experience is unique. I, I don't feel like everyone has to go through that really difficult time to come out you know, on top or something like that. Um, and it is a stereotype that was very true for me, the way that it was cliched and, and dramatic. And mm-hmm. when I left, it was, there was a, it was a catastrophe. And I thought I, like I was told I would never work in the fashion industry again and I would be blacklisted. And I, I just was, I almost peed myself. Like I was so scared. Um, <laughs> And it just like, it, it made me stronger. And so I have to be thankful for that experience, even though it was traumatic. And it made me realize that what kind of leader and what kind of boss I would want to be someday. And that was very helpful. So thank goodness it happened. <laughs> well, and I think and of see, like- Adam, Adam, you don't have to feel so bad about crying every day now. <laughs> oh, I cry every day in the fashion closet. <laughs> Adam will cry. We cry like three times a day, I think. We do. We cry a lot together. We close our eyes. Yes. Yes. Welcome to to our pity party. I mean, I I think scar tissue is important, but one of the things that comes across with everyone I've talked to about you or everything I've seen from your work is the word sparkle. I mean, it is like the definitive in the lexicon of Haley Page. What does sparkle mean to you? How does that resonate your brand? How does that inform your life? Give us some sparkle. If I summed up sparkle in one word, I think it would have to be gratitude because that has just been such a driving force in connecting to people. Because in my particular industry, it's an emotional purchase and people want to feel like they belong and they're acknowledged. And one thing that I've always focused on is that being accessible to people and not intimidating them is such a unique way to create an immediate trust. Um, So that's been really important to my brand. And the idea of Sparkle is that we all have it and choosing your humility and gratitude over like just wanting to make a statement and be a show off and be untouchable. Um, there's such a huge discrepancy in that and in, in laying the foundation for a brand. And it's also helped me because I've been available for feedback directly from our brides and from our stores and social media has been enormous in that, um, connectivity of it all. So <laughs> And you talk a lot about your like personalized approach to social media. What, what does yes. that mean to you and, and what should people know about it? Personal branding is so important. And I feel like in 10 years, everyone's going to have like a personal brand. And I guess when social media came out, I really saw it as this is my opportunity to control my narrative and to also create a bit of an experience for people. So I didn't see it so much as a business tool or a way to advertise my product as much as I saw it as this is where I can be me and I can speak from me, give myself a voice and show people where my creativity comes from, why I kind of am the way I am and like create a little bit more of a community. So 
the my Instagram is actually my personal account and it's just grown over the years. And I'm lucky to have such a beautiful dreamy product to promote that people love and can interact with. Um, but I think what's been even more important is to have that person behind it and the personality that acknowledges people coming to your page. So, you know, I would say it's important just to look at it from an experiential side is like, what do you want people to feel when they visit your Instagram page? Like, do you want them to feel joy? Do you want them to feel motivated? Um, you know, and so for me, the, the first thing I said is I do not want people to feel intimidated. I don't want them to come to my page and question themselves and say like, oh, I'm not doing this or, oh, I'm not doing enough. But what I do want to do is encourage them to be more creative and inspire them to give back here, there, whatever, or, you know, to make people feel good. Um, so that's kind of been the mentality of personal branding for me. And I think I'm just lucky because timing wise, I think people really responded and resonated to that. And I'm sure it can change over time. And that's not to say you can't have a personal brand if you're a gorgeous model with an unattainable body and or whatever, you know, you can always have a brand. Uh, it doesn't have to be that formula that I, I believe in. Um, but for me and in wedding dress world and in creative world, Haley, like that's kind of what I feel is important. But, but on the note of, of motivation and fitness, I mean, fitness is a big part of your life too. And, and your fiance's as well. How do you, like, especially now in, in these times, how are you juggling, you know, the big pivot and staying healthy? I love this question because I am super passionate about fitness. And I've, I think because of gymnastics and just always moving your body, um, it's been an important part of my mental uh, approach to things. Like I need to work out and feel like I'm exerting energy to feel like I can focus with my brain. <laughs> and um, I went through a big period of hating my, my body in gymnastics and struggling with eating and just really unhealthy things. And I'm also grateful for that because it came at a time in my life uh, where I could deal with it and, and see what it's like to change that dynamic and say like your body gets you places, um, help being healthy and enjoying food and doing all this stuff came later for me. And now it's become so much easier to see why fitness is so healthy for so many other aspects of your life. And with Conrad too, is he, he just believes his fit philosophy is um, just so balanced. It's not like you have to be really extreme to look good. You need to enjoy your life and you need to have, if you want to have a glass of wine at night, you know, like we're not big on um, dieting or, or restricting or keto, anything like that. We just believe in kind of being reasonable, I guess. Uh, and knowing that we're going to, we're going to be working out. We're going to be active. We're not going to be lazy, but um, it's just, it's become lifestyle. So it just, it sure. feels kind of more part of us than it does feel like something we have to do. Conrad has the abs I've asked for. Christmas the last 10 years. Did Santa not deliver? Santa. I mean, what am I supposed to do with these cookies, Santa? They're not helping. Um, okay. I want to go back to sparkle because brides don't always sparkle. And, you know, I, I've experienced bridezilla on the DJ side of weddings. Uh, how much are high maintenance clients a hazard in your industry? And how do you help them not 
freak out? Great question. I'm lucky because I really have not had too many bridezilla moments. Okay. And I almost feel like in a situation where there's complexity and character, which I like to say, like a little bit more <laughs> difficult, it comes at the stress of someone else. So yeah. whether it's a budget issue or it's a mother-in-law or a mom or somebody trying to kind of micromanage it. Um, and so it's stress passed down from some other um, stimulus. Mm-hmm. And it's like people ask me all the time, what's the most you know catastrophic thing that's happened during an appointment or with a bride? Bridesmaids. Just, remember that scene in the yeah, sink? Like there, I've heard these stories, but for <laughs> me, I've been, I've, I literally don't have like this epic story telling of um, a terror bride uh, or a bridezilla. I think my bride, my bride is like the bridechilla. You know, she's like, nice. she's a little more relaxed. I'm so lucky. Um, the burning maid bride. The burning yeah. maid bride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I just, I'm actually, I leave myself more inspired by a lot of our appointments than I feel down. Um, but I would say when, you're in a dynamic, like an appointment, where there's a lot of opinions. Um, I always gravitate toward being an advocate for the bride. Yeah. And I, do, I don't do it at the expense of anyone else's feelings because I don't want anyone to feel offended. But like what I'll do is, like, let's say the mom is being really difficult. Like I'll go into the uh, dressing room with her and just be like, don't worry. Like you don't need to make a decision today. Like, I'll give her, like, a side tip and be like, just, just wait, you know, or like, you know, just make her feel good because I think um, there's just so much pressure on the bride. It, there really is. And so if you can just help them relax in some way and just say, like, don't worry, it'll be okay, it's it's helpful. So that's what I try to do. Okay, so on the next side of that, on the next level, I mean, you've designed dresses, both bridal and and red carpet dresses for celebrities like Carrie Underwood and Chrissy Teigen and Olivia Wilde. I mean, do you feel more pressure when designing or or helping a client on that level, knowing that there's going to be so many eyeballs and the pressure on them of being a celebrity and having paparazzi taking their, their pictures and all that. Does it, does it, I mean, how do you, how do you usually deal with that and help them overcome that? Um, I actually feel the opposite because celebrities are so used to it. So used to being in the spotlight. They're so tenured in the pressure and they're, they're just people. And a lot of times they're really easy to work with and lovely. And again, like some of the worst situations have been the team that's around mm-hmm. them, you know, and the team that's micromanaging and, you know, like they're under some kind of a stress or a contract or whatever, and they see something a certain way. So I'm almost dealing more with that stress than with the actual um, celebrity. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think it's good because they like, they can still be themselves and not feel like they have to be the bad cop. Um, and that world is, is very special in particular, but I don't feel any more pressure, which is weird because I just see the wedding as such a big moment for that one person. And if you look at the ratio of it, it's like, here's a girl who, you know, she's a nurse, let's say, and like her wedding, like this is her big red carpet moment. And like on that spectrum, like this moment is so major and so meaningful for her. Whereas like with a celebrity, a lot of times it's their 80th red carpet and their, you know, 60th ball gown that they've ever worn. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's, I think it's, a, there's a ratio and a relativity involved in that. So. But what I'm hearing you say in both cases, it seems like manage your entourage, who you're with is <laughs> yeah. really important to the happiness that you'll have in the experience. Yeah. Okay. Well, people, what, a lot of people are people pleasers too. And yeah. What was yeah, it like designing a dress for fellow gymnast, Allie Raisman? Um, oh my gosh. So full circle for me, like I was fangirling big time because that was so my world growing up. And, you know, there was obviously a time in my life where I wanted to be an Olympian. Sure. And, you know, as with every gymnast, there is a moment in their career where they realize, okay, yes, I can do this or, oh no, I'm not going to make it. And I had more of the, oh no, I'm not going to make it. Um, but I, I'm very dazzled by superhuman athletes and, um, you know, getting she's to a superhuman person too. She she's is really cool. like all of them are, and it's it's also too like I think that the respect comes from the mentality that they need um, in those situations and like the calm under pressure and it's just it's incredible and I I fangirl all the time so I I stock a lot of these super athletes um, it's and it's kind of goes with the fitness world too but it was amazing to be able to connect with her on Instagram and then have this full circle effect where it was like. I was Jonas growing up and uh -huh. now I get to dress for them. That's so awesome. it was, it was pretty awesome. What do you, I mean, given that you've, you've worked, um, you know, in and out of the public spotlight and you've seen so many weddings firsthand, I mean, you know, the, there was that movie where, um, like 27 brides dresses or, uh, you know, I, I kind of picture a spinoff show for you. I got an idea to pitch for you, but what do you, what do you yeah. think, um, the future of weddings and the, just the bridal industry in general will be after this COVID-19 experience? I mean, how, how do you think it's like going to change? Post-apocalyptic bridal fashion. <laughs> Everything's burning, man. Yeah. I, I don't see it impacting design so much because even if you look at the landscape right now, it's so eclectic and there are so many different types of brides. And there's just more bravery to be, to show your personality with your style. And like, there's, you can just be really specific now because that bride is out there, which I love. Um, but I think what will happen is you will see a bigger discrepancy in intimate backyard ceremonies, yes. um, elopements, and just smaller, more manageable weddings. Mm -hmm. And then the like Mac Daddy, a go all out, like over the <laughs> fence World Series kind of wedding. Um, and I think like the people will gravitate toward one spectrum or the other. Yeah. I think there will be less of the in-between. Um, like it's kind of like go all out or make it like, I, I think that might yeah. happen. So I'm more on the like go all out. <laughs> side <laughs> of the so it mine will be pushed down the road more, but in this next year, you know, what I hope is that the brides that have already kind of planned their wedding and then had to postpone that they still get the wedding that they envisioned and that they are not going to have to compromise too much. That is my hope because, you know, you dream about your wedding and you just want that to be wonderful. So that's the hope. But And, and now, I mean, so you've always loved weddings, I imagine, um, because now you've, you've partnered with Hearts on Fire and are actually doing the, the bridal line of jewelry too. Tell us about that. That sounds so exciting. Yeah, it was exciting. And again, like a new sparkling landscape, you know, um, it was a perfect transition for me in 
terms of design, because I think as business, your business grows, you, you want to adventure into derivative branding and it should kind of be in the same voice um, so that it's all cohesive in a way. And Hearts on Fire is an incredible company. And it was also a full circle moment in my life because I used to work with one of their designers years ago at Priscilla of Boston. And oh, wow. so, you know, we reconnected and that's how the partnership came to be. Thanks to her. Shout out, May. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it was it was a wonderful first step into the licensing world and seeing what where else we could service the bride and serve a new girl. Um, and I loved it because they've given me real creative free reign to design, even though I didn't have experience in jewelry. So I approached it like a dress design and we used a lot of dress nuances in the hardware of the jewelry. And so the dresses inspired the jewelry, uh, which made it really organic for me and fun. And um, I've learned so much in the, in the past year and we have a new collection coming out this year. And so it's, it's just all been um, really cool. And I know like a lot of times partnerships cannot work out or it might not be the right time for licensing. So in this case, I'm so grateful for their business um, and that they believed in the Haley Page uh, platform. So hopefully it can lead to other things, but I'm just, yeah, it's been really, really fun. What did you? And, oh, so, I was going to say. I mean, so you'd never done any sort of jewelry design, did? Did I mean? And you do a lot with with pencil sketches. Did were you doing sketches? Were you putting them in CAD CAM programs, or were you were you getting to actually you know bench jewel with the the materials themselves too? Or yeah, it was very hands on, and I worked with my friend May, who is their uh, technical designer, and. It, we just started from scratch and I learned a lot along the way. And I learned to draw when I was very young as well. And that's been a super useful tool for me in being an artist and a creative in general, because you can conceptualize and you can visualize something and still draw it. So even for jewelry, I was pretty good at explaining what I wanted it to look like on mm, paper yeah. um, and using lots of references and having just the knowledge and bandwidth of understanding ratios and proportions and sparkle and like little special nuances that make dresses unique and how it could technically work in a diamond or a setting. Um, it was just like a new way to look at things. And so it worked really well. And I'm excited that I was learning something new too, because I believe I am always a student of design and there's always something new to learn. So and I can experience. imagine you're always improving your process or changing it or, or learning from past clients. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's actually one of my biggest fears is the idea of getting too comfortable mm. or feeling like I have some type of a formula down because that couldn't be farther from the truth. It's like every year you have to up your ante. You got to learn something new. You got to improve your fit, come up with a better fabric, make it less expensive. You know, it's like every, you're always... And I think it ties to gymnastics too. It's like every new competition, you want to outperform yourself, learn a new skill, get a better score, you know, whatever it is. It's like, there's always that desire that you're, you're not enough, but it's a good thing because it fires you up every time. And it, it reminds you to be mindful of always improving for sure. 
Where do you where do you draw your inspiration? Because every year you're again, you're it's you versus you, right? It's it's the stuff that you did last year is gonna be totally different from the stuff that you're gonna do this year. Where do you draw your inspiration from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely look at old seasons and say like, whoa, like that was really good. Am I going to be able to do something like that again? And I get scared that I, I like, did I hit my peak or, you know, it says it's the same, you know, moments of like doubt, you know, that anybody has in any profession. But I think inspiration for me (laughs) is just being really mindful um, and taking note of things that excite me and keeping the energy up. Um, I am definitely somebody that needs positive reinforcement and joyful environments to perform well. So I can't be around toxic situations or people. (laughs) Um, so I just kindly back out of those situations. I don't like confrontation or anything like that. Um, and that's just my thing, but I also am big on music and my parents, really instilled uh, classic rock and like old school, <laughs> old soul music. And so I always have music going in my apartment or my design room and when I'm walking and it just helps kind of set the soundtrack. And so I, I pull a lot of inspiration from lyrics and stuff like that. So it's not so artistic inspiration as it is like the vibe. Feeling, is, yeah. Feeling, yeah, exactly. When are you going to start designing clothes for Josh and I? Oh my gosh. Well, if there's a demand, it will be. <laughs> there's <fulfilled. laughs> a demand. Yeah. I think That'd menswear is fascinating and very cool. I actually see it as super complex. <laughs> there's no hope. <laughs> um, I've never been trained in menswear. Um, not to say that I couldn't figure it out and learn it, like jewelry and stuff like that, but um, I would really want to like understand it and takes, I think it deserves a lot of time and and care in understanding what a man wants in that world. You've got, you've got a great like target practice model with Conrad, I'm sure. I mean, have you ever designed <laughs> anything for him? Yeah, actually, uh, nice. like Bernie Man stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I'm, I love him so much. He is so uh, creative and like experimental and he's so secure with himself that <laughs> um, I love being around him because it's just, he's not sensitive to things. And because of that, he is adventurous and willing to put himself out there. And I, I really admire that quality. Um, so he would like, and I could totally see on our wedding day, like him rocking multiple looks and nice. like, I can't wait. And yeah, we, we love working on creative projects together. So well, you guys have such a collaborative relationship and you're starting a new podcast series. Tell us about that. We are. Oh my gosh. And this is the first place that uh, I get to make the announcement. Yes. But yeah. Exclusive. This just in. After 12 um, presents. Presents. Uh, yes. We're coming out with a podcast called All the Glitters. And the nice. mindset oh, wow. of it is kind of it's a new medium for us because we're very much in our Instagrams and I have my fashion and he has his fitness and, you know, we're really curated in that marketplace in a sense that we're tied to those identities. Mm -hmm. And what we want to do is kind of turn the page and create a community that feels more open and meaningful conversations wise. Like we don't get to kind of 
break down a lot of our mental processes and things that really inspire us on a creative and loving level. Um, and the way we met and how our relationship has blossomed, um, we're still learning so much. And so we kind of want to invite a community and say, like, learn with us along the way. And like, here's some things that we do. Here's some things we haven't figured out yet. So it's kind of about stellar humans and inspiring relationships. And we both believe that love is the sweetest thing in life. So that's why when you look around, most people are either searching for love, they're in love, or they want to make their love lasting. And so at every single stage of that, there's so much specialness and attention that's needed. So we want to explore those nooks and crannies and, and see where it goes. And it's a project that we're both doing that's different from what we do in our normal day to day. And it's been in work for over a year. So we're really, really excited. Well, Haley, I'm now I'm sparkling. I love that all that glitters is gold is such a cool classic rock lyric too. Um, I just, uh, you're just amazing. And, and I really thank you for being on our show and um, for sharing with us. Um, I don't know, Josh, do you have any, any parting questions before we, uh, we wrap sure. this up? Well, first off, uh, my wife would kill me if I didn't stop to tell you hello from my wife, Jessica, who is a nurse. Hi, and Jessica. I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask you about um, the last unicorn project. Oh my gosh, we have to send her a mask, first of all. She would die, but yes. I you. would love to. <laughs> um, this, this project was just wonderful because my dad's a general surgeon and I was originally interested in medicine. And then it's so funny because we used to make these jokes when I first made the jump into fashion, that I should make like fashionable scrubs, you know, or like really cool doctors. You should, outfits. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, years later with this happening, I just felt like, okay, I need to do something and I can show up some way, somehow here. Um, and I partnered with one of my friends in the industry named um, Sarah and her company is Lagardier. And she does uh, garters for brides. And so she helped me produce the masks and we were pretty early on in when the pandemic hit, there was a big announcement that said that at-home masks could be used as a last resort. And so we were inspired by The Last Unicorn, the movie, uh -huh. um, to create, you know, last resort masks with unicorns on them and something that kind of combined a little bit of dazzlement and like function, uh, fashion right. with function. And um, yeah, we, we've been hand-making them. And, <laughs> Uh, giving them to first responders and amazing hero nurses and all that uh, healthcare workers were just really respectful of everything they've done and show gratitude. So I think she's actually selling a bunch of them now. So that's wonderful. But the whole project was all out of pocket, just wanted to give back somehow. So. And we are, our spirit animals are unicorns. So we. I love that. <laughs> Well, Haley, thank you so much for, for being on the show. It's been a total delight and, and good luck with everything and congrats again on your engagement. Thank you. Hopefully we'll have some menswear for you soon. <laughs> yes. If you need a wedding DJ, call me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> on an art car, right? <laughs> yeah, and an art car in the desert. Thank you so awesome. much, Haley. And thank you all out there for watching 12 After 12. Hit subscribe and we'll see you next time. <laughs>